Well, hello and welcome to the Thriving on Purpose broadcast. My name is Sebastian Richard, and you probably know this beautiful lady right next to me. Elizabeth Richard. <laughs> and tonight we're excited to be together and to uh, introduce you to our wonderful, wonderful guest. So tonight we have a friend and a great guest, John Arcovio of um, Spirit-Led Family Ministries will be with us. John uh, is a man who is burning with passion for Jesus Christ. Uh, he's been ordained for over 35 years and has held ordination with CIAN, which stands for Christian International Apostolic Network, which is led by uh, Bishop Bill Hammond. Uh, so he serves as the founder of SLF, Spirit-Led Family Ministries, which you can find uh, at his website, spiritled.net. So .net, not .com, though. So spiritled.net. And uh, John, along with his wife, Jennifer, has a passion for fathering spiritual sons and daughters to become fathers and mothers in the kingdom of God. John is an apostolic leader and a prophetic voice to the ecclesia, to the church. Uh, the divine call on his life has led him to build multiple ministries in various geographical locations, and the most important one being Spirit-Led Family in Kingwood, Texas. John Arcovio has conducted over 200 Holy Spirit Crusades in more than 50 countries. You heard that right. And he has made over 25 appearances on TBN and in various radio networks worldwide. He has also authored seven books. And Charisma featured John in Spirit-Led Woman magazine for an article. John has also served in ministry for over 30-plus years. So he's got 30-plus years of, ex of ministry experience in the realm of apostolic and prophetic administration, and activation. He has planted over 100 churches in Africa, in Europe, in China, in Cambodia, in India, in Japan, in England, Mexico, Pakistan, the Philippines, South America, and Haiti. It is my great pleasure and our awesome privilege to have with us tonight Apostle John Arcovio, my good friend. Thank you so much. Is that, is that a mouthful or what? I got tired listening to all that. <laughs> it made me exhausted just listening to <laughs> everything that God's empowered and graced me to do. But no, what a joy. What a blessing. And We're so happy honor. to have you with us tonight. Thank you, John. Thank so you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm privileged to uh, know you as my friend and as a man who's also pouring into my life right now. And of course, I think that the, the, the main, the most important thing is, uh, I will, uh, you don't need to introduce yourself anymore because we, we've, we've covered that. But if you can tell our listeners uh, and uh, those who are watching on the broadcast uh, about your, because um, I was telling you uh, earlier this week that, you know, in our lives, there's, there's many layers that, add, that God adds uh, layers of foundational layers in our lives. And uh, I would have liked if you would share with the audience your uh, testimony, like, for example, how you came to know Jesus Christ. And then the next layer, when how you got um, uh, the, uh, the baptism of the Holy Ghost, and then how you later uh, embraced ministry, the call to ministry, and later still how you embraced uh, uh, 
uh, leadership, the pursuit uh, and the knowledge of leadership and, and forming others to be leaders and, and all these things, so on and so forth. So the floor is yours. Please share with us your wonderful testimony. Certainly, Sebastian. <clears throat> and again, so good to see you and Elizabeth. I bless you. I know it's getting cold up where you're at. So oh, very send, cold today. <laughs> we send some warmth your way. But certainly, certainly. I was actually born into a broken home. Uh, I was abandoned at two months old, uh, left in an apartment. And it wasn't done uh, wickedly. It was kind of inadvertently. But I believe it was the enemy trying to take me out. Because the enemy loves to kill prophetic anointing in its infancy. That's why full armored Roman soldiers were ordered to go find and hunt down the baby Jesus and kill him. It's because the enemy knows that if he can stop prophetic ministry in its infancy, then he can thwart the the, uh, generational prophetic flow. But thank God, even though I was abandoned, God allowed the apartment complex manager to come and find me. And uh, I spent three months in life support. They said I wouldn't live, that if I did live, I'd be a vegetable. My kidneys uh, had failed. My liver had failed. A lot of my major organs had been uh, affected. But I had wonderful grandparents that were actually uh, Catholic that lived on an Indian reservation in a city called Carrizozo in New Mexico. And they came down and um, God used their faith in prayer and raised me up from that deathbed at two months old because he had a purpose for that little helpless child. And uh, I spent my first two years of my life with them in a very uh, poor situation, uh, basically a two-room house on a uh, a ranch uh, for for, uh, horses, bricking horses. But then God worked out a miracle, and however it happened, my mother was able to win us back through a court battle, and she took back over raising us and then remarried. And um, uh, during that time, she was quite a wild person. She was a topless bar dancer, and uh, someone came to her door one day knock on the door to hand her a flyer to a Pentecostal revival. And she went to go slam the door shut and tell them, no, thank you. I'm Catholic. But they threw the flyer through the door and it landed on the floor. She picked it up, laid it on the counter, and she kept cooking. And every time she passed that flyer, she felt something. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so uh, at the age of two and a half years old, my mother loaded up the car with us three children and went to this Pentecostal revival and there God changed her life and filled her wow. with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it was shortly after that that my stepfather came in and also was filled. <clears throat> and this was back in the 1970s. And so in mm-hmm. about 1975 is when I had my personal experience with God. As a young man, nine years old, uh, I remember during a revival that a prophet was there by the name of Verbal Bean. He had actually called me out, which meant he spoke to me during his message and asked me to stand up. And here I was, and I was very short from my age, I think because of what I went through as a baby. And I didn't really start really having a growing spurt until about my senior year in high school. 
And, uh, but he asked me to stand up and he began to prophesy over me that God was going to use me mightily as a prophet to nations, that I would go through a season of brokenness, but that God would use me as uh, an apostle and a prophet, actually, to nations. And so it was during that meeting that I went down to the altar during one of the altar calls, they called it back then, where the preacher would preach and then he would ask everyone to come forward who wanted to receive Jesus into their life. And at the age of nine years old, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, of course, was evidenced by uh, speaking with tongues. And then I was baptized in waters um, at the age of nine also. And so that's where my journey began with that. At the age yeah. of 11, God began to deal with my heart about a call into the ministry. And wow. I can remember I went to a, uh, a youth camp at that time, and there was a and this was in East Texas. By then, they had moved from Connecticut down to Texas. And in East Texas, they had this camp meeting. And it was an old-style open-air building that had sawdust on the floor on top of the dirt. And they would have these benches, and, and we'd have these camp meetings. And that night, the preacher, his name was Charles Mahaney, he began to preach about a king's anointing on a shepherd boy's life. And even at the age of 11 years old, I felt the hand of God just come upon my life. And I just knew God was calling me to be his minister. So that night I went down to the altar and I actually laid down, face down on these wood chips. And I just began, my heart became just broken. And I began to just sob and weep and pray and cry. And I just literally felt like the hand of God came down upon me. It was like pressing me down to the floor. Mm. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and didn't realize how long I'd been praying until someone gently shook my shoulder. And it was the dorm monitors at 1130 at night. Everyone had already left the building. And he came and shook my, my shoulder and said, son, you're going to have to get up and go to the dorms and go to bed. It's lights out time. And so that's where God touched my life for wow. the calling. And I had several other experiences where, you know, God spoke to me on several uh, occasions, even one time in an audible voice. And it was a time that it saved my life. And this is when I was just a young man. I think I was, again, about 11 years old at the time. And we lived out in the country. <clears throat> and I was walking across a creek into some heavy brush to get some wood that some construction workers had left. And I was building a tree fort in the cedar tree in my backyard. And I had just jumped across the creek and entered this path that by now I had made into these waist-high um, uh, brush. And I took two steps and I heard a voice as clear as day say, stop. Mm. I remember as a young man, I stopped. I froze in place, my foot off the ground still. And I looked down, and right there on the path, under my foot, was a diamondback rattlesnake. It oh. had to have been at least eight foot long, because its body was as wide around as my leg. Wow. wow. I know as a young man, I would have stepped in the middle of that snake's back. Mm. And that snake would have struck me. And we lived way out in the country. My Back then, you came home from school, and both parents were away working, and, you know. It, yeah, there would not have been anyone to help you then. I might have been but but. God spared me. And so it was about then that God began to speak to me, began to reveal his voice to me. And I began to learn the voice of God. Now, I can tell you, he's never spoken that audible voice since then. Mm -hmm. And I'm 57 years old now. 
but he's spoken many, many times with what I term to be that still small voice. And so from there, I, uh, my parents had a ministry of planting churches. So we planted uh, a few churches in Florida. Then we came to Texas and planted a few churches in different states from the time I was 11 until I was up to about the age of 17. And then at the age of 17, some tragic events took place in our family that um, just turned my heart briefly away from the Lord. And I had grown up and all I had known was sacrifice, sacrifice, sacrifice for the kingdom to see churches built, to see things happen. And I just decided at the age of 18 that I just wanted to do something with my life. I wanted a sports car. I wanted to buy some Jordache jeans and be cool. And call Jordache, yeah. <laughs> good old Jordache. And so I went and I uh, went to a university and I was going to be a structural steel draftsman and eventually an engineer. Make, make something in my life, make money. I did not want to be a preacher. Okay. But I only succeeded running for about a year and a half. And it was during my second year of college that I was uh, sitting in the living room and a bunch of my friends were getting ready to go out for New Year's Eve to go partying down at a hot party spot uh, in downtown Austin, Texas that was called Fourth Street. And I just wasn't feeling well that night. I was uh, just feeling under the weather. And so I said, you guys just go ahead. And I was laying down in the living room in the darkness, and it was probably about 1130 at night, and I could hear all the New Year's festivities starting outside. But all of a sudden, that living room became lit with the brightest light. Mm. And it just, it scared me. Then this light moved across, and then I noticed it was a form of a man standing in front of me. And then this being this theophany, call it what you want to, begin to just talk with me and just say, you know you've got a call of God on your life. You know you've been called to nations. Why are you running? And I sat there with this, this being, this theophany or angel, or I, I can't really tell you what it was, and began to just talk and argue. And I was very bitter about a lot of things. And I remember saying, oh, I hate him, talking about my stepfather who had done some pretty terrible things, was abusive and things of that nature. And I remember this being just reached and took his hand. And when he placed it upon my hand, just such peace came up to me. Mm. And he said, you know where true love is. Mm. Mm. And I've been watching you every day as you sleep, wondering, is this the day that he'll return? That, that right there just captured me. And so I lifted my hands up and I just said, Jesus, are you still there? And all of a sudden, just the presence and love of God just fell on me. And I fell off of that couch on the floor and began to just weep and cry. And I repented right there and said, God, I'm so sorry I left you. If you'll take me back and you'll use me and you'll fulfill what you set over my life at the age of nine years old by that prophet, I'll give my whole life to you. Wow. So that was in the summer mm -hmm. of 1984. And I did. I gave my life to him. And I went through some seasons of preparation, um, preparing me. But uh, four years later, in the summer of 1988, 
I was working at that time as a structural steel draftsman for Butler Steel. And I was making fairly good money for a senior young man, but I had one passion, and that was the kingdom. The things that go in the nations, you know, mm -hmm. preaching, ministering. And so I made my mind up that I was going to obey God. And it was during that season I did a lot of fasting during that time. And that's just, I, I came at, I, I was in a Pentecostal denomination. Like I said, I was, my parents <laughs> came into that Pentecostal denomination when I was just two and a half years old. So really didn't have any choice. <laughs> it just, I grew up in it. It's just all I knew. You grew up in it, yeah. It was quite a wild denomination. I mean, they, they had some wild services, you know, women back then they used to, you know, they didn't cut their hair. So they would have to put their hair up real piled high on their head. And they would have to use tons of bobby pins to keep it all piled up. But then when they would start getting touched by the power of God, they get out and start <laughs> shouting and slinging their hair and bobby pins everywhere. <laughs> and so as a kid, we had a game that while they were all shouting, dancing, and running, and even rolling, yes, it was a holy rolling church, speaking in tongues, screaming. I mean, it was quite scary if you didn't know what was going on. <laughs> But you know, when you grow up in it, it's just you're used to it. It's another wild service that the power of God's moving, you know. And we used wow. to crawl into the pews and then we'd race out to grab the bobby pins, and whoever collected the most bobby pins won. <laughs> <laughs> the small bobby pins were worth a point, but the big ones, that was five points. So when oh, wow. the popped out, boy, everyone was scrambling for it. So did you win? <laughs> Sometimes I won. Sometimes I got whooped. <laughs> We're doing that during the service, but that's a good title for a book. Sometimes you win. Sometimes you get whooped. There you go. That's John Maxwell's sequel, huh? <laughs> so anyway, just that was kind of the environment I grew up in, and and uh, you know, so a lot of fasting. They really taught fasting, and so as a young man in my 18, 19, 20, 21. I started going on seven-day fasts, and these were water fasts, guys. I mean, back then, there was no such thing. They didn't know what a Daniel fast was. <laughs> I mean, it was water. <laughs> just all you got. It's kind of a recent phenomenon, like maybe so, the last decade or so. Yeah. Right? So I went seven-day fast, and then I would go on 14-day fast. I was so hungry for God. And then went on my first 21-day fast, and then finally I endeavored to do a 40-day fast because I was so yeah, hungry really? for God. And, and a lot of this, I mean, a lot during that time. Just can I ask you a question? Can I ask you a question about the forty-day fast? Uh, at, at the end of forty days, this is pretty much the max of human endurance. How do, how do you feel? Like how how's the, what's the experience? Uh, physically? Honestly, or, once you cross twenty-first day, it's amazing. Your strength comes back. Okay, it's no longer weakness you battle. What you battle is the fact of everyone looking at you, because now you're looking emaciated. Your, yeah, the pounds are just my shoes rattled on my feet. I had to put like four more holes in my belt to keep my pants up. I mean, I went from probably 180 pounds down to about 120. I lost about 60 Whoa. pounds. Yeah, wow. in the space of 40 days, and that's a lot of weight loss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and for me, when I fast, you can really see it in my face. My face, I look like a concentration camp victim. So people are, you know, <laughs> afraid that you're dying of some disease. And, and, and of course, you're taught not to let your right hand know what your left hand does. And, and, meanwhile, and meanwhile, you're like, I feel more energy than I've ever felt, but you look super skinny. So. I was strong. 
Yeah. But it was, but I had some incredible spiritual experiences during that time, angelic visitations. It was one of those times on that, like after that 40 day fast, I think that's when I literally saw Jesus. He came before me, but I didn't see him as the smiling, beautiful, uh, handsome, whatever. I saw Jesus on Calvary. Mm. I saw the flesh tore away from his face and, and just the, the crown of thorns on his head. It was, it was, it was a horrendous, you know, it, it broke me. Yeah. Just wow. the look of love and compassion in his eyes. So yeah, that's how I began to seek after God. And so I began to become very, very sensitive to the spirit realm, to the things of the spirit, to the voices of the spirit. To... And back then I was pretty narrow focused because, you know, the particular domination I was in, you know, they were, you couldn't have TVs in your home. You couldn't go to the movies. You couldn't okay. do anything secular. And, you know, I'm glad because, you know, in my early lives, I didn't get, I wasn't into all the stuff that people do. I, you know, I was just, right. I, I, you know, I, I was into the word, into him, drawing closer to him. And so it was actually one night after that fast that I had a dream. And in this dream, I was speaking before hundreds of thousands of people. And I knew they were from like Africa. And I saw what looked like trees above their head, just shaking in the wind in this dream. I saw the power of God just falling on them. And in this dream, an invisible hand, my Bible was laying in front of me, and this hand was turning the scriptures for this message. And that first message God gave me was the delivering power of the name of Jesus. And so when I woke up from the dream, I immediately rolled over my Bible's right there by my nightstand, and I opened it up, and I began to mark all the scriptures this invisible hand had marked. And so God gave me 10 messages this way in wow. dreams. Wow. And I kept seeing this, this crowd and this tree shaking and this big uh, concrete platform. And, and, you know, and I tried to talk to people about it at that time. And they just like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, John, that's, you know, I'm sure. Because I wasn't doing anything big in the kingdom of God. I was teaching primary Sunday school, but, you know, and so... You know, finally, after about um, a year and a half, two years of this dreams and visitations of God and just seeking after him and just spending hours and hours. I mean, I would go to the church there at Life Tabernacle in Houston, and I would go like about 11 o'clock at night, and I would pray the entire night until 6 in the morning mm. just for God, just hungry for him. Until there came a point in time where I'd be in there praying like at 2 in the morning on a weekend. And my pastor would walk into the sanctuary, stick his head in and say, Brother Johnny, are you in here praying again? I'd be like, <laughs> yes, Pastor. I want you to go home and don't come, don't come back until Sunday. He's just, <laughs> teach, he's just trying to teach me balance, but I was so passionate, yeah. on fire. I wanted God. I just wanted his presence. I'm, and just these times were so phenomenal because I would pray in the spirit, intercede. I'd have such angelic visitations and just, just the power and presence of God and just... I'd, just his word feeding me. And so he gave me these 10 messages, but I wasn't preaching. I was teaching okay. primary Sunday school and working mm -hmm. as a draftsman. And then one day God spoke to me and said, I want you to go and start preaching. And so I said, okay. And so uh, I uh, that weekend I got in my, now mind you, disclaimer, don't do this at home. <laughs> this is not the proper way you know why God 
I happened to me 40 years ago like this, who knows? But I went. There was, a, there was a hunger, though, that, and, and I think these years, I, I, as you were talking, it reminded me of my early years in when I, I had this. Um, I, I would think from eighteen to about twenty three, twenty four, this incredible, insatiable hunger for his word and spending time in, with him and all that. These are formative times because, just I, I keep telling Liz this. I say, you know. What I read back in my early 20s in the scriptures, I had a photographic memory back then. So I remembered those verses. I even remembered on which side of the page, where on the page they were at. And I was able to remember that. But see, with, with a, uh, I hope God brings it back somehow. But, but with my 47-year-old memory now, it's much harder for me to memorize anything. Uh, yeah. but, but man, in those early 20s, I'm glad I spent so much time in his word because most of the scriptures I can quote by heart now are from back then. <laughs> and they're still hidden in your heart. So yeah. When the anointing of God comes upon you, he'll bring them back out again. You may not remember them up here, but they're in here. I Amen. believe that. So just to kind of speed the story up, I don't want to tell too many little tidbits about it, but just there's just a period of time. Just I was so intense on Jesus. Just all I wanted was him. All I wanted was his presence. And so um, I ended up going and I preached like four times for some churches in the area over the space of two months. And then God came back to me and again and said, okay, I want you to go full time. But now I'm like, oh, no. And of course, then I was really believed in submission to authority and honoring elders. And I honored my pastor. And so I went to my pastor with the kill at that time. And I, I was just really scared because I was afraid he's going to tell me, you know, you're not ready. You need to go to seminary. You need to get a degree. And, and I just said, I said, Brother Kilgore, I feel like God has spoke to me to go full-time in ministry. I never forget this. He looked at me and he smiled. And he said, son, you've heard from God. Just be careful. Well, I thought he was going to set up some places for me to preach or get me some connections. And so I went back. I remember I went back and I sat down in the, in the sanctuary and I sat and I thought, what am I going to do? I don't really know anybody. And all of a sudden I just got the thought. And I went and I, I had a truck with a camper on it. I tore the truck and they had a camper on the back. And I went and got a mattress that was fit in the back there and a couple sleeping bags. And I gave my two weeks notice. And I took off of my Bible and that truck and that camper and just prayed and sought God and just felt, felt impressed to drive west. And so I drove west and I preached one or two places that the Lord led me to go to. There were small churches. The offerings were probably enough gas to get to the next place. I got as far as a city called Big Spring, Texas. I felt impressed to go to West Texas because there was a pastor that had given me his card at a conference several years earlier and said, if you're ever in Berlin, New Mexico or near Berlin, New Mexico, I want you to come preach for me. So I had his card, but that's a long drive from Houston to Berlin, New Mexico. So anyway, I preached two meetings, and then I got to Big Spring, Texas. I remember I pulled up like on a Monday morning, and my truck was out of gas. I knew I was, I was getting ready to completely run out of gas. I probably had fumes left. And they back then in the 1980s, they used to allow you in Texas to park your vehicle for five days at a state park for free. 
Oh, and nice. you, you, could, you could camp out there, whatever else. As long as when you were done, you can clean up your campsite and then, then you had to move on. And so I was there Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, five days praying, fasting, because I didn't have any food, <laughs> saying, God, I have no gas in my car. What am I going to do next? Where, where do you want me? What do you want me to do? And I'm kind of against the wall because I didn't have a checking account then. I just lived by faith, the cash. I didn't have a credit card. Wow. And I yeah. And I remembered that uh, that Saturday morning when I woke up, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, I want you to go into town and call the pastor of new life. I remember he told me the name, new life, call the pastor of new life and tell him you're a minister from Houston. And I've brought you here with a word for his church. Mm. Well, God hadn't given me a word yet. <laughs> and now he's telling me to call this pastor and to tell him that I had a word for his church. And I'm like, uh, and, and all this was done with no seminary training, no official no. seminary training yet. I'm not saying that's wrong. I've taught seminary. No, it's but, not wrong. I love it. Yeah. So that's I, not the way I think God operates. I drove the 10 miles from this little, uh, camp that was this little state park outside of Big Spring, Texas, and drove into Big Spring, Texas. And in Texas, back in the 80s, every mid-sized and small town, the first thing you saw when you came to the outside of town was they built Walmarts, these small Walmarts. So there's a Walmart there. So I pulled in, and they used to have these pay phones. You millennials listening, these were big metal things you could put a quarter in, <laughs> and you could make a phone call. There's no such thing as cell phones back then, but they probably were there. Didn't have one. And so I had a quarter. And so I remember I opened up the phone book laying there for the city and I looked on the churches and sure enough, there was new life. So I put the quarter in the the phone and called and the pastor answered. His name was, was Greg Taylor. And I said, hello, pastor. My name is John Arcovio and I'm a minister from Houston. And I've come to Big Spring and God has sent me here. I have a word for your church. Wow. Crickets. And, and how old were you? How old were you? I was at that time 22. 22. 22. And, and, and he said nothing? There was like, he didn't say anything? He what said, do you mean? Well, you said he didn't say a word. Yeah. So just dead silence. I'm like, hello, are you there? He goes, um, well, okay then. Uh, he said, well, I'll tell you what. He says, um, I'm wrapping up here at the church. I was actually studying for tomorrow. He says, why don't you meet me at my house in about an hour? And he gave me his address. And so, you know, <clears throat> an hour later, I pull up in front of this big, beautiful house with these big white pillars. Just, you know, and here I am. I've been sleeping in my camper for, <laughs> for five days. And uh, so I get out and I come up and I tap on his door. And uh, he opens his door just kind of a crack. And he looks at me. And I can see his wife behind him and his two daughters looking at me. <laughs> and he says, um, yes, you're a minister from Houston, you know. And I said, yes, sir, I'm a minister from Houston. And God's given me a word for your church. Then I heard his wife behind him say, oh, Greg, he's harmless. Let him in. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, Woo. <laughs> he invited me in. We talked for about five minutes, and he says, "I'll tell you what. We have a guest bedroom." He says, "Why don't you come on 
that's okay for you. And I'm like, is it okay for me? <laughs> I've been sleeping in 20 degree weather on a sleeping You have a bed. shower too? Yeah. <laughs> and so I went out and I got my Bible and I got what I had and I went back in. And, and I'm saying this story for a reason because I preached that Sunday morning and God gave me such a powerful prophetic message that the fire of God fell and revival just broke out. Wow. And we ended up going 16 weeks straight wow. in a prophetic revival where blind eyes were opened, deaf ears were unstopped, people were touched, prophetic ministry. People packed that the whole area hungry for God. Mm. And, and, and uh, back then in the beginning, we would go like Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday in services. And, mm. and people would come and wouldn't miss a beat. So yeah, you had seen, amazing. but you had seen from your prior experience, you had seen some signs and wonders like that, right? Oh in yeah, your church. in your own yeah. church. So how did like how, how did that? How did you receive that as a budding minister of the gospel? How did you receive that when you got such confirmation on your call? Well, I just begin to read in the Word of God about Jesus, and I begin to read every word where Jesus worked miracles. I would mark it because I knew the Bible said, these works that I do shall you do also and greater works. And greater works. And so I would say, Jesus, you did these things. You laid hands on the sick and they, and you said to heal the sick, cleanse lepers, raise the dead, freely receive, freely get. I just took God's word at heart and said, God, you said this. Yeah. And, and then, of course, I had a very unique boldness. I've always had a great boldness in my ministry. People have always remarked. And it's not really my boldness. It's, the, it's what the gift of faith does. Yes, right. And so it just lifts you to that higher level. So um, I want to be careful with our time. I don't want to run out of time. I want to answer. It's okay. Uh, usually we go about an hour to an hour and a half, depending okay. on what okay. the. Uh, what so the it just took off from there, and and, and 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 I began to minister a lot, and then just got open doors, and from there I began to do overseas ministries. I began to do crusades. I began to do pastors' conferences. God began to give me books. And I was just traveling nonstop. I mean, I traveled from, from 1986 all the way until about 1998, nonstop traveling wow. the world, uh, just preaching. And then it was in 98 that I uh, took my first pastorate and uh, pastorate and traveled for about three or four years. And then, uh, and then left there and went to another location uh, uh, in St. Joseph, Missouri and did the same thing. But you, know, you asked me a question about being in the denomination and, and shifting. And yeah, I spent <clears throat> almost 27 years in the Pentecostal denomination and wonderful people. I love them. Some of the elders that poured into me, like I mentioned, some of the names, Brother Kilgore and, and Kenneth Haney and Billy Cole and these great men that poured things into me, uh, I'll forever be indebted to them. But it was about 2007 that God began to really stir my heart for the kingdom. As a matter of fact, in 2007, when I was a uh, senior leader of the Pentecostal of St. Joseph in St. Joseph, Missouri, and at that time, God had allowed me to uh, be on TBN. I was on a local TBN station there that I did over 30 sessions there called God of Wonders, and God was really giving us revival, and I was traveling quite a bit to different countries and nations. And it was during that time that God gave me 10 messages on the kingdom. Mm. 10 different kingdom concepts and, and principles that God gave me, these 10 messages to begin to preach. 
And the more I began to preach about the kingdom of God, what the kingdom of God looked like, what it felt like, what it was about, mm. yeah. the more I began to realize this, this denomination that I was a part of, as much as I loved them, they weren't kingdom. They were political. They were, they were uh, full of a lot of institutional, being institutional and controlling and manipulating and dominating. And, and so it was about 2007, God began to deal with my heart about stepping away from this denomination that I now, now have been licensed in, was actually ordained in, and had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches and pastors that loved me, mm. that had had me come preach for them, and had sowed into my life. We had quite a budget coming in. Uh, we had between two and fifty to as much as $500,000 a year coming in, in donations and giftings, because I had gained confidence of so many pastors by living a godly lifestyle and ministering and, and just being sold out for the kingdom of God. Right. And um, I knew that when the time came for me to step away, that all of this would come to an end. I knew it because that's just how it is. Man draws a circle. Mm-hmm. And when life pushes you out of the circle, God pushes you out of that circle, or even man pushes you out. Yeah. God draws a bigger circle called the kingdom. Mm. Right, and you find yourself still in the kingdom of God. Yeah. But yes, um, I, I started my transition, and I tried to to do it slowly, but it it just wasn't happening. And and because you know, every time I would talk about trying to leave to, to officials and elders, they oh no no no, John, you don't need to leave. We love you here. This is your home. This is where you belong. And mm. and I'm like. But yeah, but I'm kingdom. And this Grand Canyon was becoming between us. Between wow. who? And I was actually getting many, many officials angry with my teaching and my preaching on kingdom. They were running across their lifestyles, across the manipulation, domination, control, what I call the spirit of the Nicolaitans, which is the desire to control people. That's what. Nicolations means nickel, which means to control or subdue, and, and laity or relations, people. Laity. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. what the word, uh, that's what the spirit of Nicolations is. It's that unnatural desire to control people. So there was a tension between great the tension. Call, the, the, was it a confusing call? I mean, if God is calling you, you, you yes. God was calling you out of that. I guess at that point it had become maybe somewhat of a comfort zone, maybe slightly. It was financially, it was completely. I could have just relaxed and been an elder and coasted into the, you know, because I was averaging, you know, high honorariums being flown in. I was averaging flying about 250,000 miles a year. And by then you had done how many years? You were close to 30 years of service? Almost, almost 30 years total. Of, yeah. of service at that time. Yeah. So yeah. had God shown you, okay, I'm calling you out, but he didn't tell you where. Like he just no. said, kind of like Abraham, just 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 go. Just he just, just said, I want you to behind. be free to go where I tell you to go. And yeah. the problem was some places God was telling me to go, the officials and the board of this organization did not agree because they were exclusive. They wanted you to stay within the circles of what they were doing. And I was okay. stepping across the circles. Oh, yeah. Because they were teaching that their domination was exclusive. 
their denomination was the only one that had truth. Their denomination was, you know, they were very tight and they took care of their own, they were very, but they were also very exclusive and they just did mm -hmm. not, they did not join with any other people. And it was just, a, it was very, a very self-righteous, I'm not saying this to hurt them, it's just the reality of it. And so just, you know, well, they're not, they're not, you know, in their defense, and it's not really a defense, but they're, they're not alone. I mean, yeah. that is the, the lot or the, the mindset, if you will, of most many denominations. Yeah. Like, but besides we were, being, yeah. Yeah, yeah, we were kind of laughing about that at one point a lot years ago because, um, you know, I had known more of a Pentecostal association. So, you know, whenever there were pastors that came to visit our church and back back in those days, I was in the biggest church in Quebec. So we were about 800 people and that was huge, <laughs> huge for Quebec, Canada. And so we'd have always the same kind of pastors that would come from different um, places in Canada, always from the same association. And he was raised I was in, in, in a another, Baptist. I was in another association of, ba of Baptist churches, and she was in the Pentecostal churches. And we were both in Quebec, in the Montreal region. Yeah. And I had never heard of her churches, or her pastors, or her leaders, and she had never heard of mine. No. Well, so, <laughs> like, and I'm like, what is that? Like, how can you explain that? You, like, she was going to a huge church, like she said. And when she we, we started uh, dating, I went to her church and I was like, I didn't know this place existed. It's amazing. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> it's like so weird that they were they were like really two separate camps with with uh, different leaders and different. Very, very like they didn't yeah. make there yeah. was no mixing there. Yeah. You know, Sebastian, really, if I boil it down, I was getting such a hunger for Jesus. That's all I wanted. And really, my turning point was actually at one of the main, what's called the general conference. This was the main conference that all the preachers and believers came to once a year from all over the world. All officials, all leaders, everyone that's part of the denomination would come to this general conference. And back then, it was, you know, you know, you could be, there could be 20, 30,000 people in the arena. They would rent very large arenas, you know like the Toyota Center in Houston or the, the Kentucky Convention Center and things like that. And, and I've been asked to, to, to minister the word of faith for healing on that Friday night service. Now, growing up as a young man, seeing and coming into ministry, this was, this was like the meeting. Yeah. That when you got asked to speak on this Friday night of this mm -hmm. conference, you arrived. That, that's the all-star game. Yeah, that's the all-star game, right? This is it. You know? And, but what's crazy was I was sitting on this platform and like a typical evangelical denominational conference, there was every leader from every district on the platform. So probably 300 people on this platform. <clears throat> and the music is going, typical Pentecostal style, 90 miles an hour, you know, worship's going on. And I'm just sitting there and I have my eyes closed because I was battling with the message God had given to me. Mm. God had given me a message on the king and his kingdom. And it was talking about what the kingdom of God really was. Right. And there's only one king, and it's not you. It's Jesus. <laughs> and I'm like, God, you know, I'd already had several challenges preaching this message in different smaller venues. And here I'm at the big daddy. 
and he wants me to speak this message. I'm thinking, God, why don't I just preach a faith message and just see a bunch of people healed? I can just prophesy, man, good times. And rah, rah, rah. <laughs> no, he kept pressing on me. And, and mm -hmm. finally, I'm sitting in my eyes closed, and I heard him say, you've been asking me for my kingdom. I said, yes, sir. He says, look up. Open my eyes, and there standing on the platform at the edge was Jesus. Whoa. And he's smiling at me. His eyes are super kind. They're a very piercing blue. He's so kind and so loving. And he walks over smiling and he stands next to me. And he puts my hand on my shoulder. And he takes his finger and he points to the top risers of this Kentucky Convention Center. It was filled. And he said, big crowd. And I'm just like, uh, yes, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't come here to say you were impressed by this crowd. And he stops and he looks at me with these piercing eyes. And he says, is this what you want, John? Is this what you want? And I just, I started weeping. I'm getting emotional now and I apologize. One, one question from the king can break, can break us completely. I said, no, sir, I want you. Mm. Jesus, I want you. And I want your kingdom. He smiled. And then he turned around and started walking off. And I'm sitting there and I'm just smashed. Mm. I'm balling now. Because I realized none of this mattered. I didn't care about the 25,000 people. I didn't care about any of that. I wanted him and I wanted the kingdom. Mm. And, and to see nations touched by the kingdom. And when he got to the edge of the platform, he stops and he rolls around. But this time, his eyes weren't kind. They were flashing. See, when he first came to me, he came to me as a lamb. Mm. And when he got to the edge of the platform, he was the lion. And his eyes were literally piercing, like blazing laser bolts of fire. Mm. And he pointed to me and he said, you will have my kingdom if you can survive my stripping. And oh. my wow. And he said, John, what has worked for you for 27 years will not work where I'm taking you. Mm. And then poof, he was gone. Wow. Wow. So That's next level, like, next level promotion. And that, that conference was in October. Two months later, I wrote my resignation letter, released my, my ordination to, to the nomination. And I said, I would like to step away with honor. Thank you for, for 30 years of friendship. Thank you for 30 years of fellowship. Thank you. I owe my life to mm. the men of God who've poured into me. But we have a grand canyon between us, and where God is taking me, I cannot walk with you anymore. Mm. Unfortunately, yeah. they would not let me leave honorably. And in fact, one of the officials, when he received my license and my ordination, he, he called me and said, John, you can leave, but I can tell you right now, it's going to be very painful for you. And it was because. 
one of the officials and one of the main leaders and one of the largest churches of that, of that denomination went to my then wife secretly and counseled her for two months that I was now a heretic. I was now had left the faith. Oh, wow. And I had a biblical, she had a biblical right to divorce me because oh. they were afraid of my influence with the thousands of young men across that movement that I had mentored and poured into for 27 years and they oh, knew that they could tell her to divorce me it would cut my influence off mm. and their organization will be safe that's the problem with denominations in religion yeah religion right. will destroy relationships to protect positions and power and the almighty structure of organization but god's mm. kingdom is about relationships and, god's and, and, kingdom Yes, and this this uh, this wedge that they, they put between you and your ex-wife, uh, that's um, there. I I would dare to think that they probably thinking they were righteous in doing so, or that they they see that's what religion does. Religions give gives you such a conviction that what you're doing is righteous or or, or truthful, when in fact you're you're way off. Well, when you become kingdom. You know, every kingdom has a culture, it has a language, it has rules. Right. Amen. And kingdom, just because you say kingdom, you could be serving a kingdom, but it may not be the kingdom of God. Mm -hmm. It could be the kingdom of business, the kingdom yeah. of religion. All kingdom is is influence. Right. It's yeah. influence. And there's an influence in religion. But you see, yes. in kingdom, legacy is not what you build. It's who you build. Mm. It's the relationships. It's the people. Jesus didn't come and die for buildings no. and brands. No. And, no. And, and he came and died for people. Mm. And that's what the kingdom is about. And do you think that the, because when I, when I heard your, you talk about that story where Jesus tells you this. The That's first, amazing. the first thing I thought in my mind is that the Lord is like looking at everything, and you know we know He loves all people, but it's almost like He's saying, you know, this this box is not is not where kingdoms at. You know, it's not you, big enough for me. Like I'm constricted here, even if to you it looks wonderful. Like you know, we've like every pastor I think out there is aspiring to that point, right? And so to hear Jesus say, you know, there's more, but I'm going to have to strip you for you to experience more. How did you like the days after that? How did you perceive that? Like what is Well, at that time, I felt I had been through so much. I almost died at the month of two months old. Like I told you, I grew up yeah. in an abusive household. Yeah. I haven't mm -hmm. talked about that, but I grew up in a lot of abuse with my stepfather. Um, a lot of horrible things happened there that God brought me through. I've been through so much. I've been yeah. through sleeping in the back of my truck and and, yeah. and having times where, like one time when I was at a conference and I was getting ready to leave to go drive from Alexandria, Louisiana to El Paso in my truck, which that distance is probably about an 18-hour drive. It's a long haul. And I had enough money in my wallet to pay for my gas to get to El Paso for my next meeting. And I remember the last night of that meeting, God told me to give it all in the offering. Wow. And I went down and took my wallet and dumped every 
panning out. And I understand I didn't have a credit card. I didn't have a checking account. I lived by cash and faith. Mm-hmm. And so when I got in my truck, I had enough gas to get from Mount Chance, Louisiana to the outskirts of Houston. So I thought well, I would go to my old pastor's church and see if he was there and just explain to him that I don't have enough gas to get to, 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 to El Paso. And I get there and there's no one there. There's just one Korean lady cleaning the windows. And I walked in, the name was Sister Susie. I said, hello, Sister Susie, where's Brother Kilgore? She goes, oh, he's in Switzerland. I remember I went back out and sat in my truck and I started crying. And I said, God, my, my gas meter was buried. Hmm. I said, I can't get to my next meeting. I don't even have money for a hotel tonight. I'm supposed to be preaching, you know, Sunday. And as I'm sitting there, God spoke to me and said, just drive, son. So I did. I jumped on I-10 and I took off driving. I drove and I fully expected by the time I got to the outskirts of Houston past Katy that I was run out of gas, but it was fine. I kept driving before I knew it. Two and a half hours later, I'm pulling up to San Antonio. I kept driving past it, and by then it was nighttime. And I remember somewhere <laughs> around the city in the middle of the desert. I think the seas. I want a gas tank like that. Yeah. I realized the miracle God was doing because that that needle stayed buried, and I drove hundreds of miles. And I remember I stopped. I let the car truck run on the side of the road, and I got out in that midnight full moon. I just started dancing around my truck, speaking in tongues, and just crying because I just knew it was a great miracle. Mm. And I drove the entire way with no gas. And the moment I pulled up into the pastor's parking lot, his driveway, the truck died. Wow. Amazing. That's kingdom gas. So you have those types of experiences. Yeah. You know, so when God said to me, I'm going to strip you. I was thinking, no, I've been through so much. How bad Mm. could it really be? Mm. (laughs) The problem was the stripping had to be stuff in the side here. Mm. Principles, mindsets, things that just didn't belong. See, people misunderstand me. They think I'm against organized religion. I'm against denominations. I'm not. I love all people that love God. I'm just so for kingdom. I'm very narrow in my focus. I'm kingdom. Okay. Mm-hmm. Amen to that, brother. And uh, so that season, no more um, visible support, like because you were you were like you were like at the peak of ministry. Um, you know, like like she was saying, like young pastors when they started, that's what they want, right? So you you reach that peak, then then you you left that. So you're in this season in the wilderness, and how did you get from there, like leaving with no visible means of support, to a renewed vision and a renewed calling and more clarity? Well, the season God God set a seven year season. That's what He set. Seven years. A seven year season of fire of purification. And that's how long this season ended. This season just literally ended right. at Rosh Hashanah of this past year. Wow. That's when the seven-year season ended. And yes, within two and a half years of me leaving, I lost all support. Because it was such an exclusive movement, I didn't develop very many connections. And very on few people knew me right. on the outside. Right. So I'll be really honest with you. 2015, 2016, 2017, I drove Uber. I sold everything I could sell. 
Mm-hmm. I sold collections, gun collections. I sold, and I just spent time on my face every day before God. Mm-hmm. I remember just saying, God, I don't care if you have to kill me. It doesn't matter. You just do the work in me that when this fire is done, I want to be the John Arcovio you see. Mm-hmm. I talk about this. There's three images we live with. There's the perceived image, there's the projected image, and there's the divine image. The perceived mm-hmm. image is what people think we are. Right. Most people are not very discerning. And people try to push on us things that God never gave us. Cousins, mm-hmm. uncles, mother-in-laws, father-in-laws, brothers, sisters, other people. Mm-hmm. Even Jesus' brothers didn't believe that he was who he said he was. Right. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the projected image. That's the image we project from mm-hmm. our hurts, our wounds, our insecurities. And that's not even a pure image of what God mm-hmm. wants. But then there's a divine mm-hmm. image. Mm-hmm. That's what God sees, who he has designed for us to be from our birth. And when mm-hmm. we enter this world, he knows who we are. It's like he said to Peter. He said, your name is Simon, which means unstable, weak, can be bent very easily. No more are you Simon. You are now Peter. Wow. A rock, solid. It mm. took a while for Peter to grow into that image that God cast for him, but that's what he set his goal on, to be the image that God made him. So that's yeah. what that trial was all about. But honestly, I went through some... When, when you're used to climbing on off of planes every week, sleeping in five-star hotels, preaching all over the world, preaching to hundreds of thousands of people, even millions of people in open fields... And all of a sudden, you find yourself driving Uber, picking up young men that are cussing you out and laughing at you, saying, hey, old man, what's wrong with you? You, you fell high school? Why do you drive on Uber? Mm-hmm. And then God's telling you, just love him. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to do something else, but I love them. And just like, I don't know what this is all about. God, mm-hmm. I can't understand this, but I love you. It doesn't matter to me. I know I will come out of this pure as gold. You just do in me what you. So it's just a lot of time, Elizabeth. Mm. On my face before God, just saying, God, change me. Trust. Just trusting him. Trust. Letting him change me and not Mm -hmm. rushing it and just waiting on him to finish the work. So Mm. that season actually just ended. Rosh Hashanah of September of 2021. Mm-hmm. And you know, coming out of it, that that seven years, that that season that you said just ended, it also coincided with because you're a man. Obviously, from your testimony, we can tell that you had tremendous spiritual growth throughout the years. Like you're deep, you're deep uh, well of of experience and knowledge, and that's all. Uh, praise God for that. But in that season, you decided you needed to pursue personal growth as well. Yes. Could you give a word? Could you talk a little bit about that? Like yes. In 2015, development and personal growth? In 2015, I decided to join uh, what was called the John Maxwell um, team, where I went through a series of training that John Maxwell gave to become what was called a John Maxwell certified speaker, trainer, and coach. And that was a very valuable time for me because it helped me to, to develop as a person, 
and to help develop leaders. Valuable, valuable stuff. So that was one thing I walked through, but also just developing interpersonal relationships, just learning how to love people just for who they are Mm -hmm. and to be willing to walk in kingdom in that, you know, just to be able to come alongside somebody and find out what their destiny is and then Mm -hmm. give my energy and my time and my resources to helping them step into their destiny. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it just it just really during this time of that seven year period, God got my eyes off of me and onto people, onto helping them, serving, mm-hmm. loving, and helping others step into their destinies. Amen to that. Right. And and what would you say for for the believer? Because me, I've noticed in my own life that my spiritual growth and my personal growth when they come together it's like it's like you 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 feel more complete and, and would you say that it, it's it maybe have been parts of maybe part pieces of the puzzle missing there that that you went absolutely off? absolutely because during the process of me being in that environment i was my t- thinking at times was tainted Mm-hmm. I allowed an entitlement, an entitlement mentality to come upon me, mm-hmm. where I felt entitled to certain things. And to be honest with you, I've thought about this, and it's broken me. But even during the times that I was senior leader of the Pentecostals of Saint Joseph, and those times, I used people, and I even manipulated and controlled people because that was the environment I was in. Yeah. And so part of my personal growth was letting go of all of those things mm-hmm. and really just becoming genuine and authentic, becoming yes. real and not just saying that I loved people, but really loving them. And even those that can do nothing for you and just yeah, whoever God sends you to just love them right. and to be with them. And so during this seven year period, God changed. I used to have kind of a harsh, um, those that have known me, you, you'll probably chuckle if you're listening to this, because you know, when I did crusades overseas and stuff, I was no nonsense. And mm. I just, I could come down pretty hard. I was a pretty hard person, pretty demanding, pretty just, you know, and I could even be pretty sharp in prophetic ministry, just using prophetic word to to, to just cut people down and just, you know, and, and God really softened that to give me his heart. But I still mm-hmm. say things that are very strong and very direct, but I say it with love. And I do it with a heart that, here's one thing I would say God transformed. <clears throat> There's a book called Unpunishable by Danny Silk. And I strongly recommend that if you're in ministry or you're dealing with people, you ought to read that book. So what's the name of the author? Danny Silk, S-I-L-K, Danny Silk. and it's Unpunishable. Unpunishable by Danny Silk. Yes. And it just talks about how as leaders, anytime, you could be a leader, you could be a father, you could be a husband, but anytime you're in that position, when someone makes a mistake or embarrasses you or fails, if you feel like punishing them, that is not the father's heart. Mm. The father's heart is always reconciliation and restoration. Yes, there's time for correction, but everything you do is with that person's future and betterment in mind, not because you're embarrassed or they embarrassed you. And if you don't deal with this 
sin, then everyone's going to think you're weak and you're not a, you're a compromiser. That's mm-hmm. not the heart of the father. Yeah. It's, it's, again, it goes back to everything being spiritual family. And right. even if you make a mistake, you're still family. And we're going to walk with you through it. And yes, you're going to have to clean your mess up, but you're still family. We don't kick you out. And speaking of family, uh, we're kind of reaching the end of the broadcast. And I would have liked if you would have taken the time to uh, familiarize our listeners and the audience with what you're doing today after all this amazing uh, trajectory and and, and adventure with God. Because, see, it makes me kind of smile because your story proves without the shadow of a doubt that walking with God is never boring. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is, if there's a story that proves it, it's yours. I mean, never, ever boring. And I, and I remember uh, having to defend that, that, you know, when I was back in my younger days, people thought I had, I led a boring life and I was trying to tell them, even though in under the, I was under the appearances that I had a boring life. Uh, I, I was trying to tell them, no, it's not boring. I, I'm walking with God, but, you know, sometimes people see what they see, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. You know, I can sum it up this way, you know, Sebastian and Elizabeth. Jennifer and I feel that God has called us to be a spiritual mother and father, to raise up sons and daughters, to become spiritual mothers and fathers, and to help them step into their destiny. We want to use our energy, our platforms, our experience, everything God's given to us to help others step into their destiny and walk in their divine assignment. And so that's the first heartbeat of Spirit-Led Family. But then we also have a slogan. It's called Awaken, Align, and Activate. And this deals with the prophetic. Every person needs to have a call of God awaken in their life. And they become aligned with that calling through teaching and training and equipping and then activation to release them in activation. So one vehicle we're really passionate about is our supernatural school of ministry where we pour into people and we do training and equipping for people to step into their assignments with the tools and the resources and the training that's needed to impact the spheres of society. And of course, the final portion of what Spirit-Led Family is involved with is specifically working with the emerging apostles and prophets to help them step into their callings. Because there's plenty of theological Bible colleges where you can learn how to preach and have theology and hermeneutics and homiletics and eschatology taught to you. And you can gain great knowledge in learning how to lead as a pastor or speak as an itinerant or an evangelist. But there's not many places where a true apostle or prophet can receive training and equipping to be balanced in character and in spirit and learn how to be a true apostle and prophet according to the word of God. So that's one of our passions is working with emerging apostles and prophets. That's fantastic. And of course, people, all of you listening, all of you watching, you can find this wonderful ministry of John Arcovio and his wife, Jennifer, at spiritled.net. And that's also, you you can get there at spiritled.net dot com or dot org all dot com will lead you there too fantastic even simpler and and i just want to add i know that for some of you listening you know maybe you're thinking well you know i don't see myself like 
um, you know, being an apostle, like starting a church or um, what I really like about spirit led um, family is that you can start, you can start small. So you can start by doing a house fire and, you know, getting that knowledge and, and learning from John and, and from his wife. She's a beautiful person, Jennifer, and they're just wonderful in how they, they teach. And uh, you learn so much by being part of that, uh, uh, part of that group. I know that, you know, we just started and we're really learning a lot of things. And so I think that for a lot of you listening, um, you know, a lot of you are doing already broadcasts, you're already leading uh, online, and you're already positioning yourself to, to bless others with your prophetic gifting. So, you know, if you're interested, reach out to John, because, you know, this is like the next level of of mentorship to yeah. be able to do more in your community. And, and you don't have to, like, you know, become a pastor necessarily. You can start small where you're at and and the other question I have for you is, um, uh, you know, we're all like wondering, you know, what's going to happen in 2022. And we hear a lot of different messages about um, all kinds of things in the prophetic. But when it comes to I've heard a lot of uh, messages where the Lord was saying that house fires are going to be um, the the next thing. Like the, the Lord is really separating and and cleaning out what is not of him and a lot, unfortunately, a lot of mega churches uh, are going to be exposed for certain things. Okay. So we, those are in the prophetic following this, we know these things, but um, when it comes to house fires, what do you feel that the Lord has spoken to you? Like when you look at this year, 2022, where you think the body of Christ is going to transform? Cause we know there's a shifting happening. We know it's going to change. But how do you see it shifting? Good question. The last six months of 2021, I spoke very prophetically that God was bringing a separation, separating the wheat from the tares, mm -hmm. separating the sheep from the goats. There's a separation mm -hmm. coming. That's part of harvest. That's part of the operation of the glory. And I did say, you know, quite a bit at the tail end of 2021 that there's going to be, you know, things exposed that even seeker sensitive program-based yeah. mega churches that there's things going to become exposed and mm -hmm. i'm not happy about this i'm not rejoicing on this but even here mm -hmm. in houston in the past two weeks someone that i've known for a lot of years they had a led a church that grew from nothing in 2015 to 12,000 people just became exposed and he had to resign and step down and mm -hmm. and and this kind of stuff only hurts the kingdom it doesn't help just, mm. It just hurts mm. people's faith and trust. And I believe that God is going to use house fires as a next level dimension of his spirit. Mm -hmm. That house fires are vital. And really a house fire is where people gather together to, to, to worship, to pray, and to receive the heart of the Father for that community. Right. And then find expressions for the heart of the Father, for that community mm -hmm. to do for ministry in the city. So house fires are not a replacement for a local church or a pastor. I don't get involved with that. Everyone's got to work out their own salvation. If someone feels they need to go to a local church and have a pastor, you know, that's, that's your choice. But house fires are an expression that is vital to, to having kingdom atmospheres where people can come in and receive encouragement, 
training, equipping, and, and, and be in the presence of God to be transformed, to go out and impact the spheres of society. So mm -hmm. we work very closely with house fires, and um, they're very powerful. And, and, and every, every week that goes by, more people are contacting us. As a matter of fact, this Sunday night, we're conducting a house fire right here in Northeast Houston at Terry Dunn's house. And, and 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 how many people on average find themselves in a in a house fire? On average, seven to ten. Seven to ten. Is, is, the, is the good family um, feel, but we've had as yeah. many as thirty. Okay. There's a lot of hungry people, you know. Yes. Yeah. Usually, what we encourage is if a house fire ends up going to thirty, then um, raise up a leader and take fifteen and do another house fire. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you stay with fifteen. And if that again grows to 30, raise up a leader, take 15, start another house fire. Yeah, exactly. So it form more leaders. Uh... It's not about how many people's there, it's the intimacy. Yeah. And sometimes right. when you get past that number of seven to 15 people, you lose the intimacy. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's not a lot of dialogue that takes place. There's not a lot of, of it just becomes more akin to what happens. In, a, in an open setting. And there's nothing wrong with open settings of worship where many come together. Different flavors. Yeah. But these house fires, especially in places like India. Do you know in India right now, the prime minister there, um, he, he's a very, very strict Hindu. And he has made it a law now that Christians cannot have open air meetings. They cannot have big events. Mm -hmm. And so it's becoming necessary with our works in India to start training smaller and smaller groups just to go in the right. cities, to meet in homes, and yeah. to just minister. And that's where the training becomes vital because you're going to need a lot of people trained to do many house fires in a city. Because mm -hmm. in, in India, it's you could lose your life. You could be put in jail. It's becoming very difficult there. Right. Yeah, so well, the church is kind of being driven underground in some places, right? We, yeah. we know yeah. that. Yeah. And it's a sad thing. Even in Canada, we're, we're not immune to that. We've seen some things that made us made us raise eyebrows and go like, whoa, what's, what's it going to look like in a year or two if this keeps going? We might all be in house fire churches. And the challenge is God always has a remnant people. Yes. Mm -hmm. But there's not many remnant churches left. Mm. Yeah, good so point. sometimes remnant people just have to gather as they can. Yeah, that's a really good point. And and before we end the broadcast, John, I I know like you've written seven books. Uh, you want the floor is yours. Want to talk about your books? Uh, maybe uh, <laughs> sure. lead people where they can get them. And yes, we. Uh, it's again if you go to our website www.spiritled.net and. Um, you click on the uh, um, the the button there for the store that we have, you can order them straight from there through Shopify. Um, we do have them on Amazon, but Amazon um, <clears throat> did something to my account this past year, and for some reason, people have a hard time finding me on Amazon. So I don't know what I'm. I, I got to get that fixed. You're better off going to, to spiritled.net. We wrote our first book. 37 years ago. It's called The Way of the Eagle. It's taking spiritual principles uh, in the Word of God and comparing it to an eagle in the wild. Um, we've written other books like Three Warfares, a, a book on spiritual warfare. We've written Defeating the Spirit of Jezebel. We also have these books in Spanish and in some other languages that are kind of limited. 
Um, we wrote the book, The Mantle of God, the anointing that covers you when you are being used of God in, in, in the kingdom. Uh, we wrote um, the book, uh, Discerning the Spirits. Our, uh, we wrote the book, The Freedom of Forgiveness, which mm -hmm. is a book on forgiveness and inner healing. Our latest book we just wrote, we published it back in September, was I Hear a Cricket, Listening to Enter the Kingdom of God. And this is literally a bridge to bring you from religion into the kingdom in relationship with God. Fantastic. So all these books are available at our website, www.spiritled.net. You can also go to Amazon and type my name, Arcovio, and it should come up. I think they got it fixed, but it wasn't working in December. So hopefully they got that fixed. Yeah, I'm going to find the links and I'm going to post it on for you guys on YouTube. Absolutely. I'll put, post it in the description below and uh, we'll do the same for our blog at thrivingonpurpose.com. We'll make a special post and put all your links there for, for people to find you. Excellent. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. This has been Thank so you. enlightening and uh, amazing. I mean, it was amazing, really. Like, I, I didn't even know about your your youth. I thought I had a bad childhood. Man, that's nothing. <laughs> but that was something else. Like that, that is one incredible testimony. And it's the, the glory goes to God. I mean, obviously, Amen. the fact that you're standing here today being who you are is a testimony in itself to the saving power and grace of our Lord Come Jesus Christ. On. And I praise God for you. And yes. I praise God for what you're doing. And yes. uh, thank you so much for adding value to our audience tonight. And we're going to do this again. Uh, now we've covered your testimony, but we're going to do this again with may maybe other topics or subjects uh, more specific. But uh, I really had a, a blast tonight. Uh, first of all, I didn't have to teach, so that was great. And uh, I, I was able to just receive uh, what you were saying, so that was also awesome. Okay, well, God bless you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good night. Good night. So, folks, there you have it. This was our wonderful, amazing interview with John Arcovio this week. And we're going to end the broadcast. And uh, thanks hope, for joining we us. We hope this has blessed you. If it has, make sure you share the broadcast on as many platforms as you can to bless others. God be with you this week, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.